All right, everyone. What is up? Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I am Charlie Shrem, your host, and you're listening and watching Untold Stories, where together, twice a week, we get to talk to the greatest minds in crypto, Bitcoin, tech, really all Web3, really people that I just think are really brilliant and those who uh, uh, I can weave like a whole narrative of, of how this whole movement came to be, where we are right now, and where we're going in the future. And I'm really excited. Uh, I was actually epically excited when we were doing the research for the show and getting this together. And I love when I find like connections between my guests and other mutual friends that I've had uh, that like changed the course of my life like decades ago or decade ago or whatever. Uh, and so I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, Tyler Spaulding. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. Thanks, Charlie. Um, I don't think I'd necessarily be one of the greatest minds within the industry or to appear on your show, but I'm definitely going to be one of the most enthusiastic. Uh, and I've been in this for a long time and it's only getting more interesting. So I love sharing stories, talking to other, um, you know, really motivated folks. So thanks there's for having a me. Quote, uh, there's a quote that's, um, I forget who said it, but it's like, yeah, I can teach any man a talent, but you can't teach enthusiasm. I think it was like the, the captain of a pirate ship or something like that who said that. <laughs> All right. All right. I love that. Okay. I'll take but, that one for sure. But you think you're not. But when I was doing the research for Flexa, um, I was very impressed because so many different projects over the, over the even, even on top of Bitcoin, like 10 years ago, people have been trying to solve this like retail problem. And how do you incentivize uh, those who are maintaining the security and the speed of your network? How do you incentivize them when you have these like trying to get to like, you know, a million transactions per second type of world, which would be beating out Visa? And I've not found a good solution. And then uh, I, I was reading about your company, about Flexus. So I was very impressed. Yeah, the honestly, the, the key there, too, is just from experience. So. You know, me and the founding team, we've been in payments for a really, really long time. So we understand how a lot of it works or, or most importantly, how a lot of it doesn't work. And so we know and envision what a solution could look like. And then when these new types of crypto networks are enabled and come about, you can now see that they end up being the ingredient to solving a lot of this. And so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the enthusiasm piece, I mean, I've been a you know Bitcoin user, a very very avid user, an enthusiast for man almost more than eleven years now. So I mean I've been in it from the very very beginning. But Flexa really had nothing to do with oh we like Bitcoin or we like crypto or we're going to solve crypto payments. That wasn't really the angle at all. It was we want to solve payments in general. This is so much bigger of a problem. And the crypto angle and some of the components of crypto enables us to solve it, which is why it's so elegant. So it was really a sort of this pull technology rather than us trying to push, you know, interesting things that we like or are enthusiastic into the market. This was really driven by a massive market need that we just built for. And there's still there still is like a huge, a huge need for it. And I wanted um Sometimes I get into like explaining to the listeners like how your project works, but I really would love if you can explain. But before we get into it, I want to talk about the mutual connection for a second. So my friend Brad Waz, I probably talked about him on the show. I need to have him on. Um, back before I got into Bitcoin, pre-2011, this was like 2008 or nine. I had a daily deal company called dailycheckout.com. It was like I was in high school 
and I was just selling electronics. And actually, because I had I had a startup that was trying to and my business, uh, we were selling one deal a day. So people are familiar with like Woot.com and those companies now. But we were that same problem, like kind of the the low, the low ticket item. We would do like our average transaction was five dollars. We were selling you a new, a new, you know, hair shaver for five dollars with free shipping. So my cost was a dollar fifty. My shipping cost was another dollar fifty. So my profit was maybe a dollar fifty, two dollars. And when it came to payments, authorized.net and all these different middlemen and companies at the time were just about, you know, when push came to shove, it took 30 days to get the money cash flow. And then it was like 5% plus. And then, dude, when that fax machine turned on, you knew that those chargebacks were coming. And those, they, they, for some reason, American Express only sends them on a fax machine. Maybe till today, I don't know. But you just have that damn fax. I was going to throw a rock at that. When Office Space came out, they were hitting the fax machine with the baseball bat. That was me. Because chargeback, and people would complain about the product. But when, you know, American Express charges $25 just if you get a chargeback. Even if you win, you still have to pay 20 how are you supposed to make money? And then this was my business. And so when Bitcoin had first come around, I was like, mind blown. Yeah, you you hit it exactly right. But especially in small and medium businesses, like uh, chargebacks and just accepting payments isn't your business, right? You want to sell something. The last thing you're thinking about is, oh, I have to verify the authenticity of this payment. And and what is this dispute process? I don't, all I want to do is sell you something, right? And then have the transaction be done. And then even larger companies that have a little bit of the, the resources to fight or, or, or kind of combat some of the, the, that process, the fees are still really high. And so I've high. heard, I've looked at all sorts of studies that show like net profits of, you know, an online or even brick and mortar merchant, about half of their profit goes into just payment expense, pure off the top payment expense. It's incredibly brutal. It, uh, yeah, it's like a huge, huge, huge cost. So we, so I had this daily deal site, and Brad had one too called uh, Dealio. Like, what's the Dealio? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Com. And then we worked together. We like I was this young kid, and I know ne- I didn't understand how business worked, how to scale a business. <laughs> and he had his business, which you would think that we competed, but you're not really competing because you're offering different products on different days. So you're, you know, the customer wasn't loyal to you. You just need to get what product were you mm. blasting over one day? And I'm telling everyone how my business model worked really. But uh, Brad had a site and he like taught me the concept of like, he would drop ship for me. He would provide like cash flow and, and like net 14. And he kind of explained how I could use the delay in cash flow to still grow my business and stuff like that. I was very indebted to him. His brothers still, I think, run that company. But he went on to found uh, this, this uh, company called Raise.com which I think acquired your company and which you were ended up being the CTO of raise. So I hope you guys, yeah, you asked me earlier for Chicago. It's like, I went to Chicago one time and I don't like it. <laughs> it's very cold. And the thing, the, the actual, the coolest thing about um, raise, I would say is that even previously it started up as coupon trade. And this is all, you know, public research and see this, yeah. that, you know, they have this really big business that they were growing around uh, discounts and, and coupons, obviously, and gift cards were a component of that. And the business started growing in all these other ways. And, and I gave, I give um, both Brad and George, uh, one, the other founder, a lot of credit in that 
they they basically had all this opportunity and they were still able to focus on something that they defined as the the heart the the highest margins the the biggest growth opportunity and to me it was a very very savvy move and that it, it, you weren't distracted by some of the other components of the business and even though you had this success and even the brand and everything you sort of already are doing to really have the wherewithal to say we're going to charge forward in this one vertical of our business yeah. because we really think this is it uh and, and it worked really well and so i give them a lot of credit that's something you rarely will see a business do yeah you could argue that you guys kind of like really mainstreamed the concept of like draining uh credit from like various uh um gift cards and be able to trade and 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 buy and sell and then buy gift cards at a discount from people and that taught people the concept of like value and um i always wondered if like the retailers in the long run liked liked this or not because they kind of baked breakage into their profit margins they assumed that people weren't going to be redeeming these cards ever but now they had a way i never asked that question i need to have brett on the show or george oh yeah so that's a and the 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 answer is it depends uh like a lot of things (laughs) So certain merchants are, it depends on how financially savvy they are and their operational model and, and how they bake breakage in and, and do they sell cards at a discount? Some don't, how they distribute them, who the customers are, are they digital, are they physical? It's, it's a real, it's almost a mess sometimes um, of what it is. And I'd say uh, some find it interesting, um, some don't. Uh, one thing that also really ties into crypto or other types of payments, particularly with Flexa, is that the, one of the biggest issues within gift cards is fraud and that, you know, they, you know, gift cards themselves. Uh, now I think crypto is probably the largest honeypot when it comes to yeah. theft of any sort of digital asset, but um, gift cards really were at the forefront for, and still are um, because if you can exchange cash, um, whether it's illicit, whether it's just um, a, a chargeback, a stolen credit card, things like that. And you can now get a gift card number. You could then use that, and that's how people would fence goods, and it's a huge, huge problem in the industry. And that was something that uh, Ray's and then me even in particular uh, built out a lot of software and entire teams around how we fought that at like a completely new level. It's actually spun out into an entirely new business. Um, that's how successful it was, which is really exciting minute. to learn all the pieces. Yeah. So you're talking about here was this massive existing problem with gift cards you guys came around and basically had a business model that was incentivized to solve this problem so you came in as a private business solved the problem for the entire industry basically spun out a business off of it i mean if that's not if that's not a perfect example of america i don't know what is (laughs) yeah and and solving a real problem i mean that's it like that's really when Going back to the beginning, right? Like I, I definitely like to, you know, think I'm smart sometimes, but it's really seeing what's out there. What do people really need? What are the true problems? Identifying that, really understanding it at a very fundamental level, and then it's wide open. You know what to build. You know what's valuable. You know what these big markets are. You know how this all kind of comes together, and then it's just a, a shitload of hard work. Uh, and I mean that very seriously. And I'm sure you're well aware. <laughs> so. It's not all easy once you know exactly what to do, but having that playbook is is obviously extremely helpful. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to to ask you. I, I know I jump around a little bit, but you were um you were you still are, but you're uh, you taught aerospace engineering at, at two different universities, and you're a member of like 
uh, worked for the United Space Alliance and the, the United States Air Force and NASA, and you hold master's degrees and all these different things. What's <laughs> more difficult, aerospace engineering or blockchain engineering? Uh, <laughs> that man, that's like the one of the hardest questions. I, I didn't expect that one. Uh, there's so many facets, right? It's impossible to answer. I wouldn't say necessarily it's harder. Um, I would say that when blockchain or crypto, it's so much more expansive, right? They, they, this gets really? talked about a lot. We're talking right? about space. It's, tech, and you're it's economics. Blockchain is it's, expansive. Yeah, well, well, because this is blockchain. It's it's economics. It's it's philosophy. It's um, you know game theory. It's math. It's software. It's even getting into hardware of securing keys and. It really touches so many different disciplines, whereas um, aerospace, you know, which I hold near and near and dear to my heart. So this is something that I forever find compelling. I'm a huge, huge fan of the, the uh, space program, space exploration. I'm still very much involved in, in talking with folks. And that was something I'll never, ever regret. Probably the best few years of my life working on the space shuttle and then even the Mars crew module. Um, but it's... You know, there's political elements for sure, and there's other elements, but the the tech challenge, I'd say, is probably a little harder uh, in what you need to do and that you need to really invent a lot of new things. But it's a little more bound of what you would do as an engineer and knowing kind of what, you know, we have this objective, whereas in crypto and blockchain, it feels like, man, every day there's something new that we haven't thought of, or there's new applications, and it just bleeds into every sort of discipline. And you know, people talk about it being this like Renaissance man sort of style of people having to like be involved and work within crypto. And I, I truly believe that because it does touch so many different things. It's like socioeconomics, physics, uh, uh, geology, um, <laughs> the study of flowers. What's that like? I taught you, you go to the, you know, you look at, go look at like, go look at some, some flowers in your local botanical garden, botanical garden, then go look at like, all your crypto charters that you've, and look at the, the charts are same Fibonacci. It's the same thing. <laughs> like you notice the same fractals and it's all the same. So it's like the, there's energy constantly around us and how we manipulate it, whether through math mathematics, physics, crypto, aeronautical engineering. It's like, it's such a beautiful right. thing. The elegant elegance in nature. I love it. I love it. That I think that's why like, I like even last night, if I don't go to the beach and see a sunset once a week, stand on the, on the sand grounding myself watching that sunset it's like it's like a, a a life like status quo you feel exactly the most grounded that you can ever be and then you can kind of like look at where you are in that moment and say okay i'm net negative or i'm net positive in this moment and what what have i done to get to this point yeah absolutely it's uh i like doing that through walking and it's just kind of like having you know resetting thinking about other things um it's why for me, uh, I have a lot of hobbies. I notoriously have way too many hobbies. And, and I feel like that's the way that it allows me to really stay focused and, you know, work 100 hour weeks and crazy crypto stuff all the time. And, you know, having to deal with, uh, you know, even yeah, the tribalism and keeping up to date and how complicated some of this can be and a lot of the negativity even and, and even the resistance, right? A lot of how we're trying oh, yeah. to make something new for, you know, governments and regulators and people that just don't understand um, a lot of this or necessarily even appreciate it. And then hackers are everywhere. So in kind of dealing with all that, maintaining a little head and, and still staying really, really motivated. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's what I do. I have lot, lots of hobbies, and I definitely take those breaks, like you mentioned. Uh, it's kind of you know, oh, level yeah. set a little bit, right, and take that time. So tell me, tell me about Flexa, and now we kind of see what the problem is. You've solved it by developing this protocol that sits on top of everything else. Uh, uh, can you kind of get into it and, and how you solve the problem? Sure. It's um. So at its core, um, Flexa is just a new digital payments network. It will connect or it does connect now to uh, all the existing hardware and software that the merchant has. So no new hardware, no new, you know, nothing else to buy, no new software upgrades, nothing else like that. So we basically will integrate with whatever is already there, whether it's the hardware itself, whether it's a payment service provider, whether it's some of their middleware, whether it's an online platform, right? You name it we are going to integrate with it. And we have, I'd say, 50% or so uh, coverage across the United States already in terms of our deep integrations that we have. So that's just at least what we do in terms of the old school, uh, simple type technology as we connect to everything and we're allowed to like process payments basically through a merchant's existing ecosystem. Then what we do is we open up through basically an API or even an SDK, our payments pipe essentially, and any app in the world can connect to it. So we're not a consumer company, Uh, we're pure B2B. So the idea is that any wallet you have on your phone, whether it's a banking app, whether it's a loyalty app, whether it's lots of different crypto apps, whether it's just a Bitcoin wallet, can connect into Flexa and pay assets into it at a point of sale natively and just as absolutely cleanly as easy as you could ever imagine. And it's literally just a scan of a code, whether the phone will create a code that the merchant scans um, or the user will scan a code that the merchant presents. And that's really it. I can see how the, my phone can generate a QR code or a barcode, but how do you integrate with the existing hardware that the merchant has? Oh, yeah. Well, see, that's, that's what we do, right? So that is the really hard part. That takes a long time, uh, requires all the various licensing, you know, regulatory approvals, partnerships, you know, pretty deep integrations. And all that will happen now is um, a code can get displayed on that terminal. So we even have um, integrations now where you can pay literally like Bitcoin at fuel pumps across the United States. So if you want to go get gas, I've seen and that you're actually. at the fuel pump. Yeah. Yeah. So it will display a QR code on the terminal and you basically scan it as I wondered you what flexa was wallet. when i saw that i'm like what is this new token that i can pay at the gas pump it with but now <laughs> that i understand that it's not what it is yeah exactly so that's the it, literally how what flexa is how we talk about it to a merchant to a user or anything else that's really it like it's pay with whatever asset you want it's simple it's easy all payments are instant so if you use even something like bitcoin regardless of what wallet you're using the payments are literally instant Everything happens in real time, no matter what asset you're using. So that is all very true. And that's what looks to a merchant, a user, nothing else is required. But then the really neat thing, um, sort of a why we could do this now, is that there's the collateral mechanism that sits behind the scenes that a user and a merchant doesn't even need to care about, right? So they don't need to interact with it. They can. Um, there's a lot of financial incentives, so they can if they want to, uh, yeah. but you don't have to. You know, you know anything about this, and that's where that collateral token comes from, and that basically allows any app to permissionlessly join the network. 
Otherwise, we'd get hit with fraud left and right because people would basically double spend transactions or spoof transactions or uh, try to have chargebacks and things like that. So by having this collateral mechanism, it eliminates all of that. And now all the wallets can permissionlessly join. So we don't need to do any business development at all. We don't need to do any other work with the wallets themselves. Anyone is free to join. Then they can use the network. The way that the network um, basically sees those wallets is if you pledge the collateral. And users don't have to do it, to be really clear. So a user doesn't need to know any about this. They don't need to care. The wallet can do it. Anyone in the community can do it. Purely just you know, financially minded people can do it. Um, because then what happens is all the fees we charge, we use to buy the collateral token. And it gets distributed back to the people providing the collateral. So all that means is if you provide collateral, you earn all the fees in the network, which is pretty powerful from like an actual, that's why we really consider ourselves to be a DeFi product in that sense. You are, you are. Yeah. Anyone, we're really decentralizing the payment risk or risk and payment transactions. And all the, the, yeah, everyone participating earns all the fees. So rather than Flexar or some other centralized entity earning all the fees and the rewards, like you have Visa and MasterCard, where Visa is 80% the market cap of the largest bank in the world, which is a, a very true statement, right? Like that's how much money is involved in this. And, and that's how much of a closed system it is, where we're looking to open that up fully, let anyone use it, and then all the participants now earn all the fees collectively, which we think is super powerful. You've like taken an existing financial product where there's already risk that's baked into these like payment networks you've tokenized that risk and you've incentivized you've incentivized the the security of of the network and and if you and if you are willing to like risk your money to to maintain the security of the network then you're getting paid from the profits of of the network and that's literally what exactly defi right. is And that's why this is so brilliant. So people are talking about, oh, like you have yield optimization, right? How are these crypto companies offering 9% USDC? Well, what I'm saying is you have to understand there are businesses now like Flexa that have these big liquidity pools for their token that now you can earn yield by a certain amount of risk. And there are people who study this type of risk, who know how to properly invest in this type of risk. But now if you think about like to go from like the token to the liquidity pool to the yield, it's back to the end user. There's like one middleman there. Where in the normal world, yeah. it's like institutional capital basically took <laughs> all of that, that profit. That's where the billionaires make their extra billions is buying into like things like this, buying companies like yours. You've like totally democratized that. That's why this is, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you, you've got it exactly right. And, and anyone can participate. Um, and, and rather than... Uh, Everyone gets to, to share in those fees and understand just how it all works. And, and it's really just straightforward. So what does it look like like right now? Is it launched? Is there an ecosystem? Oh, yeah. So we've been live. We've been fully live for, man, wow. It's uh, amazing how years go by. Almost like two and a half, almost three years. Oh, wow. uh, we've got some of the largest merchants across uh, the U.S. already using this. Fully native integrations, things like uh, Nordstrom, Petco, Baskin Robbins. Uh, you know, some large merchants, we can literally go pay with like Bitcoin right now um, in these stores. Um, we're going to be launching a bunch of new support now for new wallets and, and more merchants this year. So, but all of the other functionality around 
the AMP token, uh, the collateral contracts, how all of that works, the distribution mechanisms, all of that has been fully live now for, for years. Um, but for us, it's build, 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 keep building. We know where we're going. I mean, this is a, a 10 year plus, even from now, we're so early of what this looks like and what our aspirations are and how big this can be. Can you integrate with like Visa or MasterCard or American Express so people can pay their credit card bill with like their bucket of thousands of different types of tokens that they have in their wallet? Um, sort of. I'm not a retailer. Um, it wouldn't really work we, that way. You go and buy a suit. We were one of the largest, um, if not the largest player in um, when El Salvador moves into adopting Bitcoin as, as currency. Uh, we partnered with the largest bank uh, and other banks um, uh, across El Salvador. So people can literally pay their bills, pay their friends, pay their mortgage, um, buy things online, all with Bitcoin natively in the Lightning Network or standard Bitcoin. Really? Um, all then using Flex on the back end. Yeah. And that's been live now since it's gone live. It's really cool. It's, in, it's so beautiful how the technology exists for like a whole nation state like El Salvador to, to have this all to be on the Bitcoin standard. Yeah. And for me, the exciting piece is it's really just about that freedom of choice. And that's what to me is despite, man, years and years of infighting and, and tribalism and what people believe the narrative is or how they find it and all these other pieces where. I, I'm pretty, I guess, pragmatic, and I sit a little in the middle of a lot of these discussions. I do have strong opinions, for sure. sure. But to me, the underlying theme behind everything, uh, decentralized, centralized, whatever people want to call it, have all these ideals, is, is there a freedom of choice? Do I have the ability to use something else, right? As long as I'm not forced into using something, and I can choose to do something else with my sovereignty, also ideally maintaining some level of privacy, that's great. And and so having that option now in countries and, and evolving into more, hopefully, is that's what I'm really motivated by. And that's why we're, you know, super compelled to keep building out what we have and making it even bigger. And, and I see the future being so bright for these sorts of assets. I think like if we if we could take a Venn diagram and attribute the largest overlap of like Bitcoiners and existing labels, voluntarism is definitely like a huge overlapping theme. Definitely. I, I agree for sure. I think Roger Veer was the one who got me into it. He was like, he still is a diehard voluntarist. And his whole ethos was, still is. Um, I just haven't talked to him. I haven't spoken to him in a while. But um, is is everything should be voluntary. And then it comes down to like, you know, it's, but it's, it also has a double-edged sword. So you have to be, you have to be able to like be fully vested in it. Everything should be voluntary to you or me. But at the same time, you can never force anything on anyone. You can never force uh, uh, your opinion or your wants or your beliefs or force anyone to like take even a socialized view of, of something. So it's like, how do you develop socialized societies? It's very, it's very difficult questions to answer. And we can get into kind of these conversations, but I like that mm -hmm. idea a lot because when you're, when you're trying to like build out a, a better system, like, so what, what Flex is, is like the payment rails for web three, because in the future I could see how like I could, uh, operate a business in a whole world and then i earn money in that world and flex now gives me ability to like spend that money without ever having to like convert or hop from one different cryptocurrency to another but voluntarism is everything i mean at the end of the day we have to build a better system make it not only be more secure more decentralized 
make it work and look as nice, and then hopefully people will come and use it. We can't force them to. That's the problem with the current yeah. systems that we're forced into it. Mm -hmm. And the the beauty around these other assets, and what especially what Flexo wants to enable is you can now have those assets and use them anywhere, right? You can spend them all over the world, right? Without these other restrictions because we can exchange them or however we want to manage things on the back end, right? Going back to the very beginning and you're saying you're having your daily deal site, you don't, if, if you just want dollars at the end of the day, because that's how you pay your employees, how oh you pay God. your vendors and those things. But if you had a customer paying in Japanese yen or Bitcoin or anything else, like you wouldn't really care. Right. As long as it could all just work and you're not liable for all of those payments and verifying that the yen is real and all this other stuff. If, if there was this, you know, payments platform where people could pay with whatever they wanted and you just got USD on the other side so you could run your business like that really works. And so that's what we built. And that's where it came from. Right. It wasn't that we view it to be some utopian society of we have all these ideals like, man, this is what works. This is what makes commerce happen. This is what merchants want. This is literally how it can work to make it more optimized. So that's, again, what we're driving towards. Is it possible to like white label or like spin out this concept of like tokenizing risk pools? That's an interesting question. Um, the, the token could be usable anywhere. So um, that is an immutable token. Uh, we do not maintain the keys for it. It's not upgradable. It's not something that we control in any way, shape, or form. Um, so it is possible uh, where people could easily use AMP for um, other things. And obviously, the smart contracts are all out there and open source. They're on the blockchain. So, you know, in theory, someone could clone all of it, or not even in theory, easily. You could clone all of it and use the exact same concept in whatever application you'd like. Um, and we think AMP is a really interesting token for that because it's not like ours necessarily. Sure, it's bolstered by this really nice economic utility. So its value comes from being used, but you could really use it anywhere um, in any application. Um, so, uh, but besides from that, all the concept and how everything works and the economic model, I mean, all that's been presented uh, in our white paper is all public. Uh, and yeah, all the contracts yeah. certainly would be. So I need to develop this more because how would you how would you tokenize like temporary or intangible things? Like here, you're like the risk is is the blockchain risk or the payment risk or like it's like a finite amount of time. So I don't know how you would do that, but I I, I see a model in there just like tokenized debt with Bitfinex, how they came out of of bankruptcy. Ooh. You know, they never actually declared bankruptcy because they just. You know, say, hey, we're like a billion dollars, you know, we lost from a hacker, whatever the number was. It was like a hundred million. They created a new debt where they just took the cash flow and went to the token holders until everyone was made whole. Brilliant, right? I don't know how you would do I would love to emulate that concept in the US. I don't know how to do that in a in a regulatory and legal way. Obviously, that that like scares me a lot. But I like <laughs> this idea. Is there what's the relationship between like the token holder of AMP and these payments? Is there like, is there any governance baked into it? No. Um, so nothing official uh, because we want it to be dead, dead simple, right? So for us, it's always start with the absolute simple, most simple way you can look at this. So more people can participate. It doesn't create these really extra complicated layers of incentives or motivations, right? I found that I love all the innovation in DeFi, but you can... As you start looking at how a lot of this stuff works, it's like, okay, well, 
I can stake for this amount of time. It gives me this. And, and this staked weight then gives me this. I can vote on this. Oh, here's the timing of this. And it, it gets complicated very quickly. And I think there's a lot of fatigue. And so you end up having, I've seen most DeFi protocols will end up being, I don't want to call them centralized, but but used by a much smaller portion of very enthusiast users like most products. And so the more complicated something is, the more I think proportionally is going to gravitate towards something like uh-huh. that. And we really didn't want, and we wanted people to trust it, that it's not our thing. Like this is a community thing. It's not changeable. It has all these functionalities. You can use it in these ways. But like other than that, we don't control it. We can't access it. And being very transparent about that. So we do have a voting forum, um, basically that Flexa has has set up for um, incentives of distributing more of the tokens like from our treasury to to grants and, and builders and other incentive programs to get the tokens out within the community uh, further. And those are like signaling mechanisms. So it's not an official governance, but it's something that we want to make sure we're doing with the community also agrees with it. And we don't want to do something unilaterally. So we have that set up for various initiatives, but it's not a protocol-based governance. There's no um, you know, voting mechanism from that perspective. It's more of a signaling to help us make the right choices and to guide us, you know, even as a centralized company, like ensuring we're doing the right thing for our community. Um, but beyond that, it's as dead simple and as easy to use of, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into, um, you know, crypto is, is challenging, obviously, and the interfaces yeah. and the UX around this. That was something we approached head on of how you stake these tokens, how you how you see this all work, what the dashboard looks like, making it very simple. And we really took a entire sort of ground up uh, design for all custom, trying to really make it as absolutely simple as possible to use. So that's something we're also, you know, so beyond just the, the UI, but then the token of just keeping it really simple for people to understand. I wonder, like, as time goes on, how, you know, how the AMP coin could become a stable coin. Because if you think about it, I believe that Bitcoin eventually will be, well, it's, it's hundreds of years away. So let's not go down that road. <laughs> but these, like you said, these like very finite utility type of utility coins the beauty of efficient markets is that at the beginning you have crazy price swings up, down, side to side. It takes years to have real price discovery. Once the market becomes hyper efficient, hyper tight, it's like having a chain on a bicycle. You want that that perfect chain to be perfectly tight to be the most efficient possible for power to move from. We're talking physics earlier and things like that. That's market dynamics. It's the same type of thing. But I, it, you've kind of built it to have to be this like eventually this perfectly stable thing. Is there like inflationary or deflationary mechanics built into it to kind of like incentivize token holders over the long term. Have you thought about stuff like that? I'm just kind of spitting oh, spitball yeah. here. And here. Oh yeah. No, I love it. Oh man. We probably thought about this more than almost any project that you can imagine. I mean, years and in, in the, the economic theory, just what else was out there. This was not something that we just, you know, jumped in for some sort of speculative, you know, opportunistic play. Again, this is like, in my view, a 20-year project. Like, we are, are progressively moving towards this really big goal. Um, we're, we're based in New York City, right? A crypto company based in New York City. That gives you the idea of oh, That's why I left commitment. and never came back. 
<laughs> and I do not blame you. I really, really don't. Um, but that kind of gives an idea of, yeah, I see. of what, you know, where we're going, how big we think this can be. Right. So that's kind of the way that we've uh, approached it. Um, if, if this gets it. And so anyway, the, the token has a, a finite supply, so it's a uh, fully static. So no, no inflation whatsoever, no burn mechanisms. It's just a very, again, straightforward certain amount of tokens. That's all that will ever exist. No more can ever be minted. And so that does create a really interesting dynamic of the more to the more the token is used, right? The more it's staked as collateral, um, the more then gets locked, and then the more that it's actually used as collateral with throughput the network creates this really interesting kind of continuous mechanism around the token. So um, we think it has a really nice economic design. Um, and again, we I wrote a huge section on that in the white paper itself, um, which is all public and people can see, but like. We overanalyzed the hell out of it, basically, uh, because we really wanted to give something to some to people that was fully baked. Um, it wasn't this. Oh, here's promises. Uh, here's some hopes and dreams. Here's some token that may do something in the future, or you know, here's something you can speculate on. Like ours was completely different. It was this is all built. Everything is functional. The entire network is here. All the economics are here. Everything is all laid out. Literally, it's done. And here it is. And here's how it works. And so we tried to be as just 100% transparent across the board on every single mechanism. People can understand exactly how it works from top to bottom um, with really no guesswork or speculation that, oh, it might do this or it could do this or inflation could look like this or, or uh, emissions it looks like this. Like none of, none of that really exists. It's really straightforward. You know, you, you actually brought me up. I start thinking about as you're answering, I'm like thinking about how what you're saying could help me solve other questions that I have lingering in my head. And you've kind of connected you kind of connected that with, with the burning question that I have. It's like as we develop more utility in the space. Right. And, 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 and your token becomes more mature and then people can can add it to, to DeFi liquidity pools like like beefy finance or Vesper. And you can have different people can have yield optimization protocols. Then you can have these major blue chip publicly traded company offer yield to their customers. So as we start to stand on our own two feet, because now you've actually like developed a full on vertically integrated utility where people are, you know, in retailers and there's risk there involved. Do we, and this is what's been burning. Do we move away finally from where like crypto prices and our markets are affected by macro things? Because that's what people perceive us as. Do we finally? I want to like. We're so early still. We're not even standing on our own two feet yet. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. It is very early. As excited as as we get, and again, we're uh, I think you know both of us have been more than a decade in doing this stuff. So yeah. to us, it feels like it's been around a really long time. But the reality is, it is still super super early, despite all the numbers and. You know, the usage and everything we're still seeing, it's got so much, we're like the very, very beginning. Um, but that said, I think it's inevitable and I would love for this to start to happen. And then it actually starts proving out the thesis that this stuff's actually truly valuable. If, if it is valuable, you will see that start to happen. If people are really starting to use Bitcoin, let's say, as a store of value, a true store of value, it'll start to become uncorrelated with all these other, you know, uh, traditional assets. 
And if other utilities, as we look at something like AMP, truly is used in that way, you're going to see that the same, right? Because it should actually have, you know, almost exclusively its value should be driven by what it does. So it shouldn't matter what all these other, you know, macro forces are. So, you know, the way it should look is that if people are spending on Flexa, for instance, all the volume through Flexa, that should be the thing really dictating what that asset and the network is worth. And similar to something like a data storage protocol, something like, um, you know, Arweave, let's say, um, that should be based on the amount that people are using it. So if people are using and paying, you know, AR tokens into the network to store data, that should drive up the price of the actual utility and yeah. people are using it rather than just speculation, thinking that holding it is going to, you know, it's going to be worth more in the future. And and to be clear, that's going to happen everywhere. There's no like panacea, again, utopia, where everyone holds a utility and thinks that everyone will use it. And that's the only, no matter what pure utility you have, you're always going to have a certain percentage that are just going to speculate and, and think yeah. they know more than others, right? And I can hold this and make money. That'll be there. But as long as the majority, the strong majority are using the thing, and that's what's driving the value, I think it's inevitable. And quite frankly, we have to get there. Otherwise, we sort of failed. Yeah. And we're not doing what we said. It, it exists and can happen, right? If if everything just maintains in speculative markets tied to public equities, I mean, what have we, what have we done, right? That means <laughs> it's not what we've set out that we've claimed is building in the infrastructure and the ecosystem yeah. that we have. And so I think you're exactly correct. I, I love I love the El Salvador experiment for the sole reason of like bringing utility to Bitcoin in that and 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 because Bitcoin is the most decentralized, perfectly sound money, and I love that. And I love how you guys were involved in building out the infrastructure for that. One of my previous guests was saying that El Salvador is only like six million people, so it was a good test case for like a nation state doing this. Do you think like our industry has a cap? Like, is there? I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of like a really populated country, if like, uh, like if Nigeria or so, or something like that, where you have like tens of millions of people. Like America's huge, hundreds of millions of people. Like Mexico or or a, a, a country in Europe, like Belgium or something. That's a lot of not that many people in Belgium. Sorry, I love I love my belt, my my uh, 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 Dutch and all of my Flemish and all of my French listeners. I love you guys. By the way, thank you for listening. Never went like that. But yeah, like, what if they wanted to do it? Can we? Is the technology? Are we there yet? Man, that's a that's a really that's a great question. It's um, it depends on what the form will be. So that's where you get into a lot of these. I think the discussions can turn very opinionated very quickly um, because you start asking, you know, what is something like Bitcoin, and what does it mean to to hold or use Bitcoin? Is it is it purely a, a self custodian? Uh, experience or do centralized entities play a stronger role in that? Um, I think they will personally, just because when you look at all this stuff, I mean, we we laugh a lot, right? And you're probably one of the people you see, how in the world are you storing NFTs on a MetaMask extension <laughs> and you're not using a ledger or something, right? But they, or, or I'm or I'm screenshotting my seed phrase and I'm backing it up into Dropbox or Google Docs, hey, right? You're probably one of those guys that's like... I hear that shit the, on the show all the time. Right? Right? So... That isn't necessarily, it's, 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 it's born out of ignorance. I don't say that in a negative way. It's that people are not used to this sort of stuff. And I actually think some of them will learn to appreciate and want to go through real OPSEC, but I think the majority of people just, just won't, and they don't want to. They've, 
never done it before. Um, you know, the majority of passwords you read about on, you know, online sites, whatever is password, right. Or one, two, yeah. three, four. And people just do not I have some treat this seriously. Yeah. They don't, yeah, they don't want to do it. They're not equipped to do it. And could you imagine, you know, self-custing, you know, majority of your assets and, you know, you lose your phone and all of your money is gone, right? Like you or me, we've probably taken steps to not have that happen, right? I have lots of yeah. different layers of obstacles where that won't happen. I'd be annoyed if you steal my phone, but I'll be okay. Um, and so we've taken, we, we've taken that step. We got in early. We appreciate it. We've kind of self-selected into lovingness and it's part of the disease, I guess, that continues to grow to where, you know, I self-custody everything. Um, but I think the huge, huge majority of people are not going to want to do it. Um, they don't want to deal with it. That's not going to be where they, they are. And so with that said, what product can actually meet them in the middle that can still offer a really, you know, sound decentralized money or asset behind the scenes that still bridges it in a meaningful way to where they all just can't get wrecked if they get fished, right? Yeah. And, and that's what I think is, will dictate how big this gets, where, where, it, where it goes, what countries use it, who uses it. Um, and I think there's huge potential behind that, by the way. So if any of this sounds negative, it's not. It's mainly just how it gets defined. And, you know, and sometimes people say, oh, well, there's going to be billions of self-custody Bitcoin users transacting in the way that maybe you or I do. I just don't think that's possible. But maybe, I mean, nothing's impossible, that's for sure. But I don't see necessarily that. I see somewhere in the middle that could be really valuable. And I don't know what that middle thing is yet. Crypto is going to be is going to be everywhere. We won't. I had a guest. Uh, so funny, the guest that you were responding to about El Salvador and everything. And, and I agree with you to the CTO of Ledger. We're talking about like ah, he's talking about like everyone needs to be self-custodying more. And they just released the new Ledger live. It's so cool. Well, yeah, they're also <laughs> selling yeah, yeah. Ledger, which so, is so a great product, by the way. But yeah. yeah, it's good that we're all in agreement. But I had another guest who I read a quote that he had written in like 2013. And he said in 20 years. We're we're gonna we're all gonna be interacting in the crypto world with some way or another. Like we won't even realize. And like now, kind of like eight years into that or nine years into that, we're not even like halfway. But look how far we've come. And on top of that, there are millions of people who want to use self custodied Bitcoin and spend it in a secure way. And Flexa gives me that opportunity to spend pieces of my Bitcoin without having to maintain it on like a centralized platform as I'm ready mm -hmm. to spend it because that's what I want to do. So that's why mm -hmm. it's really cool to build out these kind of like, like uh, uh, projects and utilities and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Tyler Spalding, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on Untold Stories today too. Absolutely, man. It's been great. No, I love chatting with you. Take a fresh, a, a breath of fresh air and to open the door. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>